Hi, I'm Allison Goldwyn, your moderator for Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, informing you that due to a scheduling conflict, our conversation with Howard Martin was conducted in two parts, the first with Howard and myself, and the second including Irvin. They're edited together for your listening pleasure, and we hope they inspire you. on earth are we? Why in heaven are we here? And how to make sense of this mess of our humanness and perhaps even transcend it. Welcome everyone. From whatever nation state or emotional state you might be in, dawn of an era of well-being is the place to tune in. We're going to deep dive into uplift with insight and I'm thrilled to welcome our two formidable hosts, two-time Nobel nominee, Nobel Peace Prize nominee, that's very important, Professor Irvin Laszlo, who's a world-renowned philosopher and system scientist. He's the author, co-author, or editor of 101 books that have appeared in a total of 23 languages. He has also written several hundred papers and articles in scientific journals and popular magazines. He is a member of numerous scientific bodies, including the International Academy of Science, the World Academy of Arts and Science. He's the founder of the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research and the Club of Budapest, and the recipient of various honors and awards such as Goya Peace Prize, the Assisi Mandir of Peace Prize, the Luxembourg Peace Prize, and he's received honorary PhDs from the United States, Canada, France, Finland, and Hungary. And Fred Sau, a business leader, futurist, practitioner of Eastern wisdom and Western science, author and chairman of the Family Business Network's Ambassador Circle and founder of ITEA Institute and Octave Institute, where ancient wisdom and quantum science are fused to create a platform for people to achieve a purposeful life that's mindfully lived at new levels of consciousness and freedom. I'd like to start each episode by acknowledging our worldwide audience, of whom some are lucky enough to be thriving in this remarkable new environment, but so many are not. It's challenging. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being podcast and book hopes to offer real comfort to the global community, helping us awaken to a new paradigm and a new era of well-being. We encourage you to not only read the book and hear the podcasts, but to feel them, to start awakening your senses to different ways of perceiving beyond just our eyes, just our ears, because this is the space that Irvin and Fred refer to as consciousness, and that's our comfort zone for the long term. So I'm going to introduce today's wonderful guest, Howard Martin. I think of him as Hart Martin, <laughs> and we're going to talk about resonance, uh, but before I introduce him, uh, let me... Let me properly present him, if you will. He is one of the original leaders who helped found HeartMath in 1991. He's a key spokesperson for the HeartMath companies, and Howard is deeply passionate about the topics he presents. Through his talks, he illuminates the intelligence of the heart, describing how we can access it to create positive and sustainable change. His presentations provide a unique clarity and sense of ease about the evolutionary changes that many are experiencing personally, collectively, and socially. Howard shows us how we can actively participate in the creation of our individual and collective future. He is a co-author of the highly acclaimed book, The Heart Math Solution, and contributing author of Heart Intelligence, 
Most recently, Howard helped to co-create the HeartMath Experience, a new online video program introduced by HeartMath in January 2020. Wow, a hearty welcome to Howard Martin. <laughs> Thank you very much, Allison. I'm really honored was- to be with you and all these other folks here today to have a conversation that I hope uplifts the spirit of the people that are giving their time and attention to listening to this. So welcome to everyone who's a part of this shared experience. Ah, well, it's wonderful to have you here. And I'm going to jump into something um, rather meaty. Okay, we're talking about a new paradigm. Uh, We're getting some very inspiring new gifts that accompany this new paradigm, like a new heart connection. With the future of AI accelerating, artificial intelligence, will we need to develop HI, heart official intelligence, to keep pace with it as a kind of uh, peacekeeper pacemaker, a kind of heart as babysitter for the brain? I'm I'm trying to understand how these seemingly competing frequencies can find a meeting of the minds when one is organic and the other is manufactured. Would you like to dive into that one? Well, well, I'm glad you started out with the easy stuff, Allison. Uh, <laughs> that's an interesting question, you know, to be addressing. Well, first of all, I don't think that we have to look at AI as something we have to compete with. You know, the heart is inclusive. And if we have artificial intelligence and if it begins to be able to function in ways that do things beyond what our normal logical linear intelligence does, We need to learn to find ways to work with that and to embrace it rather than being threatened by it or rather than thinking it's something we have to compete with. AI has a lot of potential and a lot of questions and a lot of challenges that, you know, that people are beginning to discuss now, ethics challenges, moral challenges, uh, fear-based challenges about what this could do, how it could displace us in some way. And I think all that needs to be consciously considered. At the same time, there's something very unique about us as human beings that I don't know if AI would ever replace. We are unique within the universe into what we are, especially into the elaborate tapestry of emotion that we can experience. I think that's what separates us from every other living system is that we have this very sophisticated, beautiful, emotional nature about us that allows us to experience whatever our reality is in these nuanced ways. And AI may get to there. I mean, the discussions that AI will develop emotion, but there's something very unique at the core of us, at the core of our human heart, that I think is going to always be there for us. And it's always going to be our greatest strength. AI is just one of the many things, of course, Allison, as you know, that's uh, taking place in the world today. Uh, we are in the midst of a dimensional shift in consciousness. And that's what is the new paradigm is really about. Uh, the dimensional shift in the way in which I'm characterizing is not a physical dimension, but it's the ranges of bandwidth in our intelligence and awareness capacities. And that is expanding rather dramatically, and it's creating the chaos and confusion that we see today. And it's bringing about also things like AI, and also the questions about AI, and all these things are all part of this, uh, one of many things that are part of this new consciousness and awareness that's starting to emerge. Uh, at the core of that, there's something that I believe, and my work would support that, is that I believe that the development and reemergence of the intelligence of the heart is one of the empirical initiatives of these times. 
it's not a uh, it's not a, like a nice thing to do. It's not something that's just loving and caring. It's part of the intelligence unfoldment, part of the consciousness shift. It's part of the empirical uh, initiatives of these of these times, as I said. So something is happening to us anyway, and something we need to develop. And within that context, that's how we will get the intuition and insights that we need to understand AI and how to best use it. What a great answer, and what a reassuring answer, because I know a lot of people are are jittery about all these new things that are happening, and it's almost as if, um, well, I I wonder sometimes if AI and HI, artificial intelligence, um, how this dynamic duo will impact our global nervous system for better or worse, but in your opinion, we're kind of veering in a very exciting new direction. So I want to ask you something about... Um, you have you have a heart sensor app. If I'm, am I actually describing that correctly? I'm going to ask you yeah. something about that. But before I do, can you explain to our listeners who may not be familiar how that works, what it is, and why it's so important? Well, first, let me do this, Allison. If I may, I mean, sure. people listening right now may not be that familiar with heart math. But basically, we are Indeed. a system based on methods, tools, techniques. Uh, and technology all underpinned with scientific research designed to activate a person's own heart intelligence and ultimately activate the heart of humanity. That's our real mission, right? So we get that done in a lot of ways, and we have used science as a bridge between what people philosophically understand about heart and to put it into you know more of a modern context that's more applicable to the times in which we live. And in doing so, we've reached a lot of people um, all around the world, you know, the huge footprint that we've had and very deep into mainstream society, for example, with heart-based understanding, not just the philosophical or spiritual communities, but very mainstream audiences like hospital systems, police forces, military, you know, big business, all those things we've we've been working with for a number of years now. Now, the reason I mention that is that the science in which you're talking about is, is part of that science is embodied in the app that you mentioned. We develop technology that measures the quality of communication taking place between our heart and our brain and the rest of the body. First of all, most people don't realize the heart's doing anything but pumping blood. But in fact, it's a, a very powerful and important information processing center in our body, sending commands to the brain and throughout the entire system. And the information the heart is sending is critical to how we function as human beings. So the heart is doing more than pumping blood. It's sending information. It's talking. I guess the question sometimes is, are we listening? You know, (laughs) so the science that we've done, you know, unfolded a lot of that understanding. And in the process of that, one of the ways in which we needed to look at measuring that quality of, of, of communication between heart and brain and body was looking at changes in our heart rhythms. And there's a scientific discipline for that called heart rate variability analysis. And that's measuring the timing between heart beats, which is our heart rhythms. Not like a fitness monitor, just measuring heart rate. It's measuring these intricate rhythmic beating patterns that the heart is producing. Now, when those rhythms are very jagged, chaotic, and irregular, that's usually coming from things like us feeling stressful feelings and emotions, anxiety, Frustration, anger, judgment, those kind of feelings produce these irregular heart rhythms. They in turn impact the brain and the rest of the body. They actually create conditions in the brain like cortical inhibition, 
which means higher perceptual centers in the brain begin to shut down. You don't think as clearly. Conversely, when we're experiencing regenerative uplifting emotions, long metaphorically associated with heart, like love, care, kindness, compassion, appreciation, dignity, honor, those kind of emotions, the heart rhythms change. They become very smooth and ordered. I draw it with my finger now. They have this sine wave-like pattern where it's speeding up and slowing down rather naturally, right? And when that rhythm is being produced, it has regenerative effects on the body, including the brain. It opens up the higher perceptual centers in the brain. We, we can then begin to see the big picture on things rather than the myopic focus we often have. It's good for our physical health. It's a high-performance state. Uh, it's really sort of reflective of us being the very best that we can be. So once we understood this, and I'm giving you a, a very short understanding of a very large body of scientific research. <laughs> You're in heart math. Our scientists have, there's over 400 peer-reviewed papers that include heart math or based on heart math tools or, or science or, or technology in the world today. So we realize, okay, if we can train people to make that shift from these heart rhythms that are like this to these ones that are like this <laughs> and experience all these amazing benefits, what if we could provide something that could train them to do that? So we went beyond the medical equipment we were using to measure heart rate variability, and we turned it into something that people could have in their own hand, in the palm of their hand, and that was affordable to them. So we created, uh, there was a progression of technology creation along the way, but arrived at something called the Inner Balance Trainer. Inner Balance Trainer. It's an app you can download from your favorite app store on for you know, for Apple iPhones or Android devices, you purchase a sensor. The sensor attaches to your ear. Uh, that sensor picks up your pulse, converts it into heart rhythm analysis, heart rate variability analysis, and then through a, a very sophisticated algorithm that our scientists created, it scores those rhythms for how ordered they are. And the term for that is how coherent they are. And through using the app, you learn to create more coherence in your own system, right? And so the app is fun. It gives you scores. It gives you some numbers. It's got pretty beautiful images in it. It's got, you know, pulsing mandala to help you with your, your breathing rhythm. And it's been used all over the world by hundreds of thousands of people and used in, in ways in, uh, let's say, High performance ways, you know, less in healthcare settings, you know, uh, therapists and counselors working with patients, helping them overcome some things like post traumatic stress or anxiety disorders or depression. It's been used in, um, in sports, for example. Uh, Olympic athletes train with the inner balance trainer. Many of them do, you know, things like that. Major sports professionals do. But, you know, the general person that uses it the most is the person interested in their personal or spiritual growth. And I'll give you an example of that. Me. I use it to guide my meditations. You know, every morning I do a meditation, and then I do one, you know, middle of the day, a little short one just to stay tuned up, and then I do one at night. And I use my inner balance trainer to do that. And what I do is I use it to guide me. You know, it's not like it's doing anything to me. It's just reflecting what I'm doing. And, it, and so I'll set out upon with an intention, let's say, to... um just show people a picture of the inner balance trainer. There you go. That's the mandala screen, you know. Well, for, scroll, for those people picture, that can't you see put a picture in there that's inspirational. And then it's got these, this section here where you get the numbers and the rhythms and all those sort of things, you know. And I use it to guide my meditative practice. 
And what that does is it keeps me more on track. I know for most people, uh, when we sit down to do meditations, we can have an intention. Let's say we're going to be quiet, we're going to be still, and we're going to send out compassion to the world or something, right? Mm-hmm. And we can get into that state, and it starts out that way, but then the thoughts begin to invade. You know, how much time do I have? What have I got to do later? Do I have this interview coming up today on <laughs> this amazing podcast? You know, all these things begin to invade the thoughts, and you lose focus. The inner balance trainer will reflect that. And I can look and all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, you know, my numbers have dropped dramatically. You know, now I need to go back to that place I started out in, that stillness inside, that soft feeling of love and compassion that I'm offering to the world, right? And go back to that. So it keeps me honest in a way. Now, the other benefit of it, though, if I made one more point and then we'll go to a different question, but the main benefit that this thing gives you is what we call the carryover effect, meaning that you don't walk around with this thing on your ear all the time. You don't walk (laughs) around in this high state of coherence all the time. But once you get into that higher state of coherence, it, it sustains, it lasts. And then when you finish doing what you're doing, you've got the sensor off and you've gone into your your activities, you're carrying over a more solid, connected, heart-connected place within yourself that does influence how your day unfolds or how the events in your day unfold. So that's the main benefit of it, really, is the carryover effect. And when you use it over time, what happens is, is your overall what's called coherent baseline increases. You actually kind of start out more coherent than you used to. <laughs> that's a really interesting thing. It's a wonderful thing. So it's, it's, it's what I call an assistive technology. It's helped people. It's technology being applied in a way that we know advances consciousness, not a technology that's trying to take away from us something that we often fear from technology or adding another layer of confusion to our life. It's assisting us to to grow and to change in ways that I think are are highly beneficial. Howard, this is this is so exciting. Has this been introduced into school systems? I'm thinking, I don't know, you know, maybe yes. not preschoolers, but at what age group in educational realms has this been introduced? We've worked with the youngest children all the way to college. Really? And we've done it through collaborations with teachers and school systems and universities. Uh, we have two parts of HeartMath, a for-profit company, HeartMath Incorporated, which is what I'm executive in. We also have the original HeartMath organization, which is a nonprofit HeartMath Institute. And we separated out what's called fields of use so we could focus more specifically on areas that would be more appropriate for each organization. Shared mission, but separate in regards to who we address. So on the nonprofit side, one of their major initiatives is children, families, and education. Of integrating heart-related information, heart-based tools, training programs for teachers, they have programs. You can go to the heartmath.com or .org website. You can see resources for children. There's games. There's online things. Uh, lots of educational tools. And it comes from a deep care about the well-being of children and their young people. I'll add one more point to that. We have a founder. His name is Doc Childry. And Doc is not a person that does interviews and things. But Doc is the founder of HeartMath and, you know, the core of HeartMath. The first book he ever wrote when we first started HeartMath now over 30 years ago was a book for teenagers. Ah. His very first book. And he said that that was, we had to focus on children. We had to, we had to, to provide what they needed to advance them along the way. And he talked to me 
way back when and said the world these children are coming into is going to be a very different one than the world he and I were raised in. It's going to be a lot more complex and a lot more, a lot harder for them to figure out what's going on and a lot harder for them to understand their emotions. And sure enough, you look at the world today and the playing field, I'll use that term, so to speak, that children are in today. It's different than the one I was in, that's for sure. And they need help. They need all the skills they can get to navigate these changing times. And so at the very beginning of HeartMath, there was Doc's Heart saying we need to help the children. And today it's a major part of what the HeartMath Institute does. It's beautiful, and it's so encouraging. It's so needed. I, because the other uh, sector that I was going to ask you about is, have you had any impact on the on leadership? I mean, we just off the heels of the COP26, and you know the G20s and G7s and all the the G leaders around the world. Is has you ha, have you had any input inroads into that? That's typically very. Uh, closed community to penetrate. Any- yeah, we have had some along the way, mm-hmm. that's for sure. Um, be, wouldn't be appropriate for me to mention names necessarily, but we certainly have been involved with some government leaders and officials in various roles within government itself along the way. Um, mm-hmm. My personal experience of it is that they're in a tough situation. Uh, they can often be extraordinarily good people that have a difficult time manifesting what we would see as goodness. <laughs> well said. They're working within systems that are just tough to navigate in, you know, and it's like, so I, I've learned to, to really have a, to really work on and think of it, I've gotten better, certainly suspending judgment about those people and about what they do or don't do. Uh, my interactions with them on a personal level is that I haven't found them to be the evil empires that sometimes we project them to be, you know. <laughs> that they are some goodness in those folks. And uh, certainly political division is one of the bigger you know, polarizations that we have today. And learning to, you know, to, to mitigate those polarizations is one of the most important things we can do for advancing humanity right now. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. That we're not going to get but so far with the consciousness expansion, the new paradigms, all these exciting things that we can talk about until we learn to get along with each other better. We've got to learn to get along. And that's one of the secrets hidden in plain view that has a lot to do with the new paradigms unfolding. You know, they're lofty, they're expansive, it's it's great to talk about them and to project into the future and to see what is possible. And I do that, and I love all that. But underneath it all, I also am a pragmatist, and I go, you know, that sounds good, but nothing's going to really shift on a big level until we learn to get along with each other better. And what does that mean? We have to be more allowing we have to accept differences. We have to be more inclusive in our thinking and not so polarized in our own thinking. You know, We have to learn to allow for things to unfold and for people to have an opportunity to be what they feel they need to be without us always pigeonholing them or boxing them in or judging them up one side and down the other because they're different and because they have beliefs that are not the same beliefs I have. That doesn't mean I need to go out and invite every person whose belief system is completely polarized from mine over to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> but, but at the same time, it, it, it does mean that I need to back off a little bit on my, my judgments of them. And so that's something that, you know, that I work on. And like anyone else, I'm certainly not perfect at that. But I do believe that as we develop more heart, Art is what includes. And when we're coming from a place of, of love or care or compassion, we're less judgmental. It's simple. You know, 
Uh, Howard, this is such an important uh, point that you're making and a perfect point for me to ask you this question, therefore. Uh, sight and sound are our predominant senses for prejudice. Would we have more natural heart resonance if our communication was through automated voices and we all dress the same? I mean, I'm projecting now, but in a sense, how much are our other senses feeding into our prejudices and our, you know? Well, they are, but that's a surface level stuff. I think that what we really need to get to is an essence understanding of each other. One that we're able to tap into something that goes beyond the personality relationships we have, about the way someone looks or dresses. It's almost like... And I think that, you know, the look and the dress is the first layer we have to maybe sometimes get past. But go underneath the hood a little bit. You know, get down into a person's essence, and it doesn't matter what they're wearing. You know, that's where we find the real the real person uh, beyond all that stuff. And I've got story after story of where life has blindsided me, showing me my judgments because of how someone looks. You know, uh, I just remembered one. I'll share it real quickly. It's, it's, there's hundreds, but I just remembered one. We were dealing with some high, high-level legal stuff, and we were meeting with our lawyers, uh, lawyers in Southern California, and they were bringing a guy in to talk to us. He was an expert on uh, U.S.-Asian business relations, and we had some things going on, and we wanted some legal counsel. And this guy was a superstar. He had he had been the guy who had set up the whole lottery system in the country of Thailand. He was the guy that that was the the chief lawyer and legal person that that took the the uh, the, the quick march 7-Eleven chain into Asia you know that kind of guy and we went to Los Angeles to meet him and we were going in to the to up to the offices and I got in the elevator and there was this very disheveled looking guy in there you know he looked like he was you know he had a wrinkled shirt stains all over it hair wasn't brushed you know the whole nine yards well guess what that was him right <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the judgment of who's this guy and how did he ever get into this law firm elevator for the starters, you know, uh, what's this about? And then he gets off the elevator the same floor and he goes in and they go, well, hey, Bob, how you doing? And I'm looking at this is the guy, right? You know, but his clothes would not have belied what he was, right? Even on a professional level, much less the deeper level of who's this man as a human being. Beyond his legal ex- exploits, there's something else even deeper than that in him, you know. And so... Over time, you know, I spent a little time with him, and I got to know him some, and I found, what a beautiful soul, you know. <laughs> the first impression was, is how did this guy get on this elevator in this, this fancy law firm in Los Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> how often that that is a reflection of our lives in so many ways, uh, you know, where the, preju- where the prejudices come that we're not even conscious of. We're just on a kind of autopilot, and I suppose this new paradigm is breaking open all kinds of, of air pockets so that new can come in. I want to ask you a question about um, electromagnetic energy, because uh, everything is ultimately connected, and you... I think you've said that we broadcast our electromagnetic energy into about four feet of space individually. And then when you magnify that by a planet full of conflicting energy, my question is, as minute as we are in the cosmic schematic, are we also that mighty that we could actually disrupt the equilibrium of, of cosmic harmony? 
Can we, can we affect the weather collectively? Can our energy, we know that energetically we're affected by weather systems. Can we also affect weather systems? In other words, how, how mighty is our electromagnetic energy individually and then collectively? Well, it's more mighty than we think. <laughs> uh, and I think that you know, we have to look at it beyond electromagnetic energy. I mean, we know that with the heart produces a magnetic field. Uh, it, it produces a stronger source of bioelectricity in our body, and it does create a field that surrounds us in 360 degrees. And measured with the most conservative instruments you can measure with called magnetometers, which we can see that field about three feet or one meter mm. outside of the body, surrounding us in 360 degrees. We know that that magnetic field changes depending upon what we are feeling. It's again emotion driven. Uh, if we're feeling, you know, frustration, anger, those kind of feelings, it produces what's called an incoherent spectra in the field, very chaotic field. Again, going back to something we talked about earlier, if we're experiencing more of these heart directed or heart related emotions like the love, care, compassion, kindness feelings, the field changes, produces a coherent spectra. So we're literally broadcasting our emotions out into space. Now, to your point, there are about 8 billion or so of us on the planet. Everybody's producing the field, and everybody's feels imprinted with their emotions, right? So we have this very large collective field made up of the thoughts and feelings of humanity itself. Now, that's the big, the big sort of third-dimensional field, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, we're looking at a very conservative measurement on the Horace field. And researchers believe that that field is, is much more expansive than three feet or one meter. You know, that that's just a measurement device in which we're able to track it with. So it can be much, much larger and more dynamic than that. If we were to look at that field, for example, and begin to assess it, at least, through the lens of quantum physics instead of Newtonian physics, then we remove some of the traditional barriers of time and space. And so... I'll give you a belief, not a proven scientific fact, that's for sure. My belief is it's through the heart that we connect to universal source. That's where we connect to our larger self and to the universe itself. It's through the heart It is where we do that. Now, when someone is in a really heart-connected, highly coherent state, they're producing a very powerful field. And that field can have influence on a lot of things. Now, whether or not we can overtly just shift a weather pattern, maybe, you know. Uh, but what we can do is we certainly can permeate the field of consciousness in ways that people can draw from that field to make their lives easier. We're all living in this field of energy that's reflecting back to us not what we think in our minds, but what we feel in our hearts. And it's through that reflection that we determine what our reality is. And so as we begin to influence that field, people can pick up on that in unseen ways. Uh, I've always believed that the highest form of service any of us does is how we walk in the world. The inner attitudes which we shift and change and that we hold. That goes beyond how many books we write, how many talks we give, how many interviews we're on. The big contribution is what am I doing inside myself? What am I feeding the field moment to moment, day to day? And as more people begin to make choices that reflect a new intelligence, a new awareness, a new consciousness, more heart, it does influence the field that in turn makes it easier for others and others and others. So in the midst of all of the problems that we see, there is a momentum going on already of a newness coming into the world and millions and hundreds of millions of people that are thinking differently, acting differently, 
choosing differently, wanting differently, all of that is already happening. And it's because of the collective work we've done as a global society over many years that's finally adding up to where there are breakthroughs that are happening. It isn't all bad news. The world is not ending. I don't believe it's an apocalyptic scenario. I believe we've crossed the line already, this avoided apocalypse, that we are now moving in a new direction with more road to walk, more challenges to face, a lot left to be done and to unfold, but I believe we're on the right track, and it has come from the collective changes people have made, their influence on the field that we are all drawing from, and then that interpretation of reality that's changing for many, many people. That is such an uplifting and encouraging note that I want to end. But before I end on that note, I just want to ask you something because this is your work is so um, similar in vain to obviously what Lynn McTaggart is doing with the intention experiment and Roger Nelson with the Global Consciousness Project. Have you all uh, thought to do some kind of a mass scale global event pooling all of your, you know, cross connects? Uh, and and really raising the vibration, uh, maybe also with music, uh, since resonance and frequency. Yeah, well, we're, you know, we're all on a, we're on a lot of those things already. Other people do, and we end up together. I mean, people like Lynn McTaggart, uh, Jody Spencer, Greg Braden, uh, those those right. folks are longtime friends of mine. We go way back. We're like we're we're like twenty years deep or pl- or more in our relationships, and so right. we end up together. I was just on one the other day, a couple of days ago. I had fifty five different speakers on this thing, right? You know. And some of them I knew, so there's, that's going on, and that all helps, you know. And so we end up in them, whether HeartMath needs to orchestrate one or not. You know, there's a an organization called Global Pulse, which pulls in uh, people from a variety of groups and organizations and lists around the world that does these type of meditations. HeartMath is one of the players in that, in the Global Pulse, for example. And so I think that, you know, I've done... God knows how many of these things, you know, uh, these global events and global meditative uh, experiences, even before the pandemic, they were happening all over the place, you know. And that's right. uh, why we started our own Global Coherence Initiative, which is, you know, our, you know, sort of contribution to that type of work. All that's helping. It is helping. It is softening the field environment, making it a little easier for people to move through the challenges that they face with a more uplift in their spirit as they do it. And I think that we all need to continue to do those things and participate in them. And again, going back to something I said earlier, to me the even bigger contribution is how we are living our lives. How are we treating each other? How are we treating ourselves? All of these are the most important services that we do. Let's create that catalyst. And maybe the global meditations help with that. I'm sure they do. But there's even other ways to do that. Other ways to bring about that synergy, you know, in a, in, in a way that lifts the, the spirit of humanity. But again, I think there's so many wonderful people out there. I feel humbled by the wonderful things that I see and the people who are doing them. You know, oh, whatever Howard. I've done is fine. But I feel humbled by the magnitude of what I see in, in, a, in a positive sense amidst this backdrop of of such chaos, such confusion, and such suffering. I do see both sides of the picture, I think. Listen, we're so humbled to have you here contributing what you've been contributing. And uh, sort of, as you're saying, developing a fitness program for the heart. But it's a very different kind of fitness than a physical fitness program. And this is a kind of fitness program. We train all these people in heart. 
hard focus techniques. Yeah. You know, we've got, you know, I want yeah. to mention to, to listeners, and this is not anything I'm trying to sell. It's a give, I'm giving something. You know, it's a, exactly. there's a program you mentioned in my introduction, the heart math experience. It's a cinematic learning experience that I was one of the producers yeah. on. It teaches you core heart math skill sets, tools and techniques, and it does it in a way that's beautiful and pulls you in and you learn, but you're also entertained. And it's called the Heart Math Experience. If you go to the HeartMath.com website, you can get it for free. We originally came out with it in January of 2020. It was an item we were selling. It was selling. It was getting picked up by you know bigger companies like Gaia, and you know uh, started to be featured in film festivals and all that stuff. And then this thing called the pandemic came along. Uh, but did that kill it? More did that? Did the pandemic pandemic actually serve in that respect and and propel it more well, what happened as the, with the heart math experience was? Yeah, you know, with the heart math experience, our founder again, Doc Shorty, came to the, our, us, the executives, and said, "We have to. We want to. I want to do something for people that can give them a lift right now. They're all locked up in their houses. They don't know what to do. Uh, I want you to give away the heart math experience, and I want you to promote it hard." And get the other, your other friends that promote it too. So people that I mentioned, you know, just a minute ago were helping with this thing. And yeah, guess what? HeartMath's got this new thing. They're giving it away. You can get it. Well, guess what happened? Hundreds of thousands of people watched this thing. Oh. And as a result of that, there was a business outcome, which wasn't our motive. We were, as business people, we knew there could be something like this, but we didn't do it because of business. But our, the list of people that came into us of people we'd never had contact with before, people that we'd never done transactions or business with before, the, the HeartMath list increased dramatically. It was the biggest list builder we ever had. Incredible. And we gave it away. Incredible. So the people watched this thing. Yeah. Well, so we, we, by serving, by giving something, we benefited in ways in which we didn't necessarily plan. We did, we had a clean motive that was not a calculation on our part. But we helped a lot of people. And today, without us even promoting it, it's on our websites. But without us promoting, it's still the biggest lead generator we have. It's still bringing in hundreds of people every single day. Uh, there's people right now, as we've been together in this in this podcast, there's been probably hundreds of people that have downloaded the access key to the HeartMath experience, right? And, of course, their training programs, their books. We've got um, one of the things that we share with Urban is we share a publisher, Riverside Press. Um, and his newest book is coming out on Riverside, uh, the book that I'm a collaborative author on with Doc Shouldery, Deborah Rosman, Roland McCready. It's called Heart Intelligence, Activating the Intuitive Intelligence of Your Heart. It's published by Riverside. Uh, a new edition of that's coming out very soon, a revised edition. Uh, Doc always likes to revise his work. He always refines it relative to what he's sensing about the needs of the people right now and so that's coming out soon so we have lots of resources if people want to learn more about heart math but more importantly i would hope that people are motivated to learn more about their own heart and about the magnificent intelligence that resides there and that they use that to, to find ways to decrease their own fulfillment their own sense of self-love and compassion and then to advance themselves in ways that allow them to be more conscious co-creators to make their service contributions to this world as we move this amazing transitional time that we're all living in. Oh, Howard, I, I, I want to say thank you so much for, again, your incredibly uplifting and reassuring voice today. We all have a heart. I think we just haven't realized 
maybe how to use it, and there's a new way to understand it. I'm going to christen you Hart Martin. Forget Howard. Hart Martin, once again, a very <laughs> compelling note to conclude on for now. The little scuttling boy that figured out Hart was, you know, was, uh, was a good thing to do. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Allison Goldwyn with our hosts, Irvin Lazlo and Fred Sow, and today's very special guest, Hart Howard Martin, inviting you to join us for more episodes of Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing and consider that the holiday season is fast upon us and it may not feel like a holiday for many of us. So this book, Dawn of an Era of Wellbeing, makes a wonderful gift of uplift. And the bravado of our ego has historically gotten the better of us. So when we build a new paradigm for humankind, please Let's try to include human kindness. Stay tuned and stay attuned. And now for part two of our conversation with Howard Martin and Irvin Laszlo. Howard, before I ask you questions, can you just recap for the audience again what this heart app, heart sensor app is, how it functions? Because I have two important questions to ask you off the heels of. Talking about our technology, Allison? Uh, pardon me? You were talking about HeartMath technology? Uh, the sensor. The okay, sensor. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, when we started our research many years ago, we were trying to decode what we felt was happening inside the body, that there was a communication taking place between the physical heart and the brain throughout the system. And, of course, our scientists, along with others, did discover that, in fact, the heart was an information processing center, that it was sending important commands to the brain throughout the system. Um, we also determined that those communications improve when we are in emotional states that were long associated with this concept of heart. When we were more loving, for example, more compassionate, kinder, more caring, that heart-brain-body communication improved. But we needed to be able to decode that. And the way that they went about it, our researchers at the Heart Math Institute, was through looking at something called heart rate variability, which is the changes in heart rate the timing between heartbeats, not like a fitness monitor measuring just how fast or slow, but measuring the timing between heartbeats. And that became the measurement of looking at heart-brain-body communication. Once that was figured out, we knew that if you could train somebody to improve that communication, it would change their lives. So we needed to take that scientific technology and turn it into something that ordinary people could understand and use. So we began to develop products that related to that. Um, the most recent one that we have that's by far the most popular is called the Inner Balance Trainer. Mm-hmm. And it works on smartphones and tablets. It's, it's that kind of a technology. So it's really the first of that type of technology uh, to give reliable heart rate variability analysis on a mobile device. And you get a sensor, you attach it to your earlobe, and you download the app for free and, and you begin to see your heart rhythm patterns in real time. And then through patented algorithm we develop, it tells you how ordered they are. And the term for that is coherent. More coherent is better, right? So people all around the world use this technology. Um, it's been used in every walk of life for a variety of purposes, far beyond what we could have predicted or controlled. And, um, it's helping people with things like um, health improvement, uh, learning to better understand and regulate their emotions, 
which is, I think, the most important benefit that it has in today's world. It also is being used for lots of performance things, you know, in business and sports and education with children, things like that. And that's just the technology side of heart math. Um, it was just, I mean, heart math is a system that's about living a heart directed life. Technology just came along as a byproduct of scientific research we were doing to help understand the mechanics of how heart could actually be changing a person's life. I'm so curious because we were just talking, the three of us, about, uh, you know, the implications of AI and all the technological advancements that are almost getting ahead of us. I, I wanted to ask you if the heart sensor app is, for lack of a better term, almost like a lie detector test for the brain so that a, if a person can actually see their heart-centered truth, in a sense, via its disturbing or relaxing fluctuations in relation mm-hmm. to whatever context they're, they're um, hooked up to at the moment. Can this inform, uh, you know, we're living in an age of fake truth, for lack of a better term. Can this be almost like a detector, a sensor for truthful heart-centered experience in in a situation, in a life situation? Well, let me put it to you this way. I, I think it can be a good indicator, a strong indicator. There's no technology that really measures that. That's between us and us. It's between our own soul and our own personal existence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of that I'll give you would be, um, as we get older, we begin to lose heart rate variability. So um, there can be people that have beautiful hearts, wonderful hearts, beautiful ability to express the emotions of the heart that may not score well on that technology simply because their heart rate variability patterns are going to be, you know, uh, compromised through normal aging, right? Which means that someone who is a grandparent that has deep love for their children and grandchildren may not score well on their technology, but that does not say that their heart is not a big, giant, loving, beautiful heart, right? So in a sense, the technology is an indicator where it is, in a sense, what you call a lie detector test is when you're doing a, a meditative practice. Uh, it keeps me, for example, on track. I can get up in the morning and I sit down to do my heart-focused practice before I come to, to work, just like before I come to this interview today with Irvin. And... Um, and my intention would be to like get as solid in the heart as I can so that I can be as clear and then also as loving and uh, as I can be and as connected to you and to Irvin as I can be. And that would be the intention. But along the way, the thoughts about what's going to happen next, about the other meetings I have coming up, about the projects that I'm concerned about, about you know, all those things begin to invade my intention. Well, the inner balance trainer is going to show me that. It's going to show me when I'm really solidly locked into that heart those heart feelings or when I've floated off. And so it can provide a a reliable guide. Let's put it that way. That can help me stay on track with my original intention. But it doesn't measure, doesn't measure a true person's deeper heart though. Sorry. Nothing does that. That's bigger. That's a bigger game than any technology. (laughs) Howard, let me ask you a question that's very much on my heart and also on my (laughs) mind and consciousness. And this is this question that, uh, to me, is very exciting. We know that the brain picks up information, but it's a, from the world around us. But that, if, but that brain is at the same time a filter. 
it only picks up very selected kind of information. Now, some of the information that seems to be reaching us that is not translated by the brain into a, into a conscious level is what is known as non-ordinary experiences. You know, the altered state experiences. Some of this experience seems to be coming to us at the frequencies that are lower than the regular beta frequencies. They're coming at, at, at theta or, or alpha or even below. And I was wondering, just as a hypothesis, could it be that the heart picks up information of this non-ordinary kind, maybe loving, loving information, oneness kind of information, mm. before the brain picks it up? And in fact, it's sometimes the brain, the heart communicates it, and then you have this coherence between heart and brain, and maybe it gets transferred into to the brain. But maybe the heart is there ahead of the brain. And maybe, uh, maybe what we need is more of that kind of information reaching the brain. Maybe that would make us into a more loving, more coherent person. What do you think of this possibility? Well, I'll be glad to answer your question. First of all, I love how you think. <laughs> I, love how you, I love how you use your consciousness to ponder questions like that. I think that's a beautiful thing about you, Irvin. Uh, I admire that a lot in you. Um, my, my feeling is this, is that the heart actually accesses a field of information that's nonlinear, mm-hmm. that extends beyond the normal confines of what we call logical linear intelligence or even beyond the boundaries of time and of space. And it is through the heart that we access this field of information that then translates itself into experiences like you mentioned or into intuitive insight and things like that. My belief is this, is what happens is that we access that field through the field of the heart. It's transmitted at super high speed to the brain where the brain begins to do what it does best, which is to, to analyze it, to filter it, to compartmentalize it, then to you know turn it into something that we can begin to use to, to determine reality. It happens so fast that the brain's getting credit for it. <laughs> it's like, you know, it goes, the brain begins to interpret, oh, it's all here. But I think that the entry point into that field that you're talking about actually comes from here. It's actually coming from here. And we have done one, uh, it was a study um, that indicates that. It's a published study in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. It's on the what was called the Electrophysiology of Intuition. Hmm. In that study, test subjects were, were, were a lot of physiology was being measured, brain waves, skin response measurements, several kinds of heart measurements, um, heart evoked potentials, complex, don't ask me to explain it, uh, heart rate variability, a lot of biology was being monitored. The test subject would sit in front of a computer. The computer had been loaded with images, intentional images. Some of the images were intentionally horrific like scary, you know, uh, people being stabbed, um, snakes, uh, those kind of things. The other images were very beautiful and evocative images, you know, things like bunny rabbits and sunsets and rainbows and things like that. And in that, in, in the computer was randomly selecting. It wasn't programmed. It was in a random selection modality. A test subject would press a button, would be prompted to press a button in a handheld button they had. They pushed that button and the screen would stay blank for six seconds. Then the picture would come, stay on the screen for three seconds, then it would go away. And then the prompt would come again, press the button, and the the process was repeated over and over and over with lots of images. 
what we found was amazing. Uh, we found that in many cases, the physiological response to the picture that was going to be there actually was happening six seconds before the picture emerged. Six seconds before the picture showed up, the body was doing what it would do if that kind of picture would be on the screen. And it happened over and over and over. Uh, and it was amazing. Then when they began to decode the physiological traffic in the body, which was happening inside the body, the second level of analysis, when they decoded that, they found out that the heart was the first to respond about six seconds out. About one and one half seconds later, the brain responded. And then a second and a half before the picture came to the screen, they coupled at a frequency level. There was a frequency coupling between heart and brain. Then the picture emerged. So the, the process was heart, brain, heart and brain come together, picture shows up. And so this was happening over and over again. Now, this was a published study, a peer-reviewed published study uh, in the Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine. It indicates that we are taking in information from the heart, that the heart is receiving, not just sending information, and that it is perhaps accessing this field that Irvin was referring to, uh, a field that's, that's giving us experiences that are unexplainable, <laughs> that are not explained through, through the, the normal logical intelligence. I'll make it, I'll take it, I'll finish now by taking it one more level. I was on a, a flight with Dr. Roland McCready, the director of research at the HeartMath Institute, and I asked him to, to explain that study to me in more detail so that if I ever needed to talk about it, like right now, I would fully <laughs> understand it. And he said, yeah. And he said, what's interesting, he said, the heart could be picking up information a lot beyond six seconds. And I said, well, how's, how's that? He says, six seconds was where the research protocol was set to. In other words, you know, the six seconds was just where they set the protocol, that they were measuring what was happening in that six-second gap. <laughs> but what if it's six hours or six days or six years? You know, who knows? You know, so the implications were very large in that. Uh, and that's one way we've scientifically looked at it. Now, the, I'm not saying it definitively proves what Irvin has astutely brought to our conversation, but it is again a strong indicator that the heart is receiving information from a field of information that is not bound by the normal constraints of time and of space. Hmm. That's amazing. Is there research That's being done? Terrifically important conclusion. It was a long answer to your question, Irvin. Sorry, but <laughs> you asked me a big question. I gave a big answer. <laughs> it is, it is, but it is fundamental, fundamental. Another thing that sort of interests me very much is, you know, I've talked at some time a year ago or so, I've published a, a book about reconnecting to the source. We have asked a dozen, uh, actually 19 thought leaders, people who are both scientists and spiritual people, and ask them if they have unusual experiences, you know, spiritual experiences. And these are all could be considered somehow advanced high consciousness people who are used to Thinking in 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 in, in, a deep, in a deep sense, they came up with all they, they had such experiences, and the experiences are very similar. They were all experiences of love, of oneness, and belonging. They were all experiences mm. of connection. Yeah, it could it be that the heart is more sensitive to this kind of this kind of signals, 
signals that occur perhaps at another frequency level, maybe very deep frequencies, slow frequencies, maybe very exultant, exaltation levels, very high frequencies on the EEG spectrum. And maybe the heart is responding almost instantly, and, and it, or then it communicates to the brain, and from the brain to the body. I mean, mm-hmm. would the heart be a way of expanding our level of awareness, expanding mm-hmm. to, to levels that we don't ordinarily access because the brain is filtering it out? I mean, that to me would be a fascinating thing because it would indicate a higher level of maturity in consciousness of individual spirituality at the same time is a more expanded kind of a, a, a information field. If we access more of the information field, we are more at home on, in the world around us. I'm, I'm, I'm expanding <laughs> what you are saying in a scientific sense, but yeah. the implications. When we are more mature, we experience more, and when we experience more, it's the heart that leads the way. This is what I'm, I'm suspecting. Uh, how, how does it sound, sound to you? Well, I'm rather biased because my life's work has been an exploration of heart. Right? <laughs> so, yes, I think you're exactly right. I'll put it in a little different language that maybe you can resonate with or the viewer can resonate with. Science can only take us so far right now because we're trying to measure we're trying to measure events or experience or consciousness that's happening at a different dimensional level. And so the, the technology we have today can only measure within the dimension that we are existing in. Mm-hmm. So we get indicators, we get insights, we get some proof. But what's really happening is we are accessing a field of information that's in a different dimension. Wonderful. Uh, it's a dimensional difference. And so science can only give us the indicators. The experiences themselves are the real proof. Um, that we are doing that. And so we're moving, I think, as a global society, even though it doesn't appear to be. We're moving through a dimensional shift in, in the overall consciousness field. Um, we're moving from a paradigm that's been uh, instated very well on planet Earth in the third dimensional consciousness, which is a, a, a dimension that has got wonderful aspects to it, but it's basically a dimension of duality and of separation. Hmm. And uh, that's one of the core principles of third dimensional thinking. And we're moving beyond that into the fourth dimensional consciousness, which is more inclusive. You used the term a minute ago, Irvin, when you were describing the experiences of connection, you know, and harmony and cooperation. And I think that's the dimension we're moving into now, where that is becoming a stronger dimensional force. Um, and science is helping us with that. And it is the heart qualities to me that create that connection. Uh, what creates a separation are things like our judgments, uh, our biases, uh, our desire to separate, our desire to make ourselves better than another. Uh, our, all those things are not what heart is. And the qualities of the heart are the kind of qualities that do create that sort of connection and harmony. When we're in a loving state, we don't judge people as we allow for them to be themselves, right? You know, and we allow them to connect. When we are being compassionate, we're not putting someone down. We're, we're actually demonstrating that we have an understanding of what they're going through. And that's connection. And one of the main things that I'm saying today in my work, in the work of heart math, really, is um, it gets simple in a certain way. The next step in human evolution is learning to get along better. We've got to learn to get along. Uh, 
And the world right now is so polarized and it doesn't look like we're moving in the right direction. But ah, when I step back and when I'm able to find a little of my own higher vibration, I see a different worldview. I see that we are progressing in the right way at the right timing and that we are evolving as quickly as we can. We can't handle much more that it's evolving us and all the world events that are so disconcerting and so challenging for each and every one of us are actually evolving us, moving us to the point of getting to a place to where we will be able to actually understand and manifest getting along better. And that's the evolutionary curve that I see. Amen. Exactly what I, what I want to, what I was hoping for to hear, <laughs> but I'm trying to maintain. You have the experiments, you have the basis. You have, you have the theory and the basis for showing what it is. It's tremendously valuable. Also, because yeah, we have to, we have to manifest it now. I think that's the thing. It's like we all know, know a lot. There's a lot of people that are listening to this. This conversation now, Urban, that are very conscious people. They wouldn't be following your work if they wouldn't, if they weren't. They're very conscious people and they're doing a great service to the world by being on the planet and putting that energy out, putting that into the energetic field. But for each and every one of us, we have to take the next steps. We have to be able to push past our normal consciousness thresholds and put more meaningfulness into the work that we do. And as before our recording started, Alice and I were talking, uh, with, and we were talking about some of the limitations that I've had to uh, have in my life relative to coronavirus, you know, and some of the challenges that's created for me and in my internal attitudes. But that's a perfect example of work I needed to do on myself, you know, of changes that I needed to make, that I needed to be more meaningful in accepting, uh, more meaningful in taking care of the whole and not just myself. Uh, thinking that I was already doing great at that, but then being able to see deeper that, yes, I was doing fine, but there was more to go. <laughs> and then to try to be willing to step up and say, okay, I'll make those changes. You know, oh, is right. that your, next step? Your work is crucial because you are providing legitimacy, credibility for the changes we need to make. You're showing that this actually can be expressed in quote unquote scientific terms, you know. So yeah. this credibility is, is essential. I'm reminded of, of the old saying that we believe what we believe, what we, we act or we recognize what we believe in, but we don't yeah. recognize what we don't believe in. If you don't believe it, you yeah. don't see it. And you That's show right. something that is more beyond the belief question. You showed here it is. We have a, we have actually a valid indication of it, you know. Whether you believe it or not, you know, in a sense. So it was a bridge. That's right. This this movement to the next step has to be credibilized or legitimated in a way, and I think you're you're, you're providing that, and it's a unique service. It's 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 I'm delighted yeah. and honored to to have this exchange with you because you are providing the the food, the substance, and the the credibility for the next step, the next step that we all know we have to have to create a world in which we can live together on this planet, which you don't have as yet. That's right. Perhaps moving... I think heart plays a big role. I think I think heart, the, the manifestation of, an, of a new version of heart, heart's been around for thousands of years, you know, but and for us to take that evolution, everything's evolving, including heart. So to take the, the next evolutionary step of heart is really one of the 
imperatives of these times. It's, it's, it's not just a nice thing to do. It's not a heart math thing. It's like bigger than all of that, way bigger. It's part of the evolutionary imperative of the times is to manifest more of the intelligence of the heart. The science is a bridge. The science allows us to explain it in ways that creates more acceptance. Exactly. One of the ways I've described our science is that our science gives the mind uh, the security that it needs to go ahead and believe in the heart. To surrender itself to heart. And not because to it's satisfied it. now. The mind is satisfied and okay, now I'll listen, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so it does that. Because May the I ask old, the question? old paradigm in a way is the heart is a pump. It pumps blood and that's all it does. And spirituality is all just imagination, you know. So only the brain yeah. works and, and the heart has no other role than this getting, keeping the, the blood circulating. And what we perceive is what's real and what we don't perceive doesn't exist. I mean, all these old paradigm ideas need to be overcome. And the heart math work that you are doing with your colleagues is helping us to do that. So I would like to cite, you know, more extensive, extensively what the latest thing you are doing. So I would like to invite you to, to give me the material that I can use, I can refer to, because what you are doing is absolutely crucial. We have to take the next step, and the next step goes through the heart. It starts with the heart, and you are showing that. Well, I'd be happy to do that and give you everything I, I can give you. Um, again, you know, honor you very much for, wow. I mean, uh, like I said, before you came on, I said, you know, uh, I don't know why he'd want to talk to me, you know, <laughs> because you, you've been around a long time and done such amazing work and, uh, have been a, a pioneer, a true pioneer. And I think Hartman's a pioneer too, but you've been a Absolutely. real pioneer, a real a person who stepped up to the forefront of this so many years ago and have served humanity in a unique way. And it's your service to humanity that is the most important uh, thing that I can honor about you is that you've done this. As a way to try to help. I'm and a, you've done a great job. I'm, I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> Thank you, Howard. I'll pick you up on that. I consider myself just a channel, something that I can bring to, to bring to manifestation to consciousness, something which is really there in in us. And this idea of uh, being part of a loving universe and belonging a oneness universe. That is, you have to move from the level of pure imagination down to the level of concreteness. That is the kind of universe we live in. It's a coherent universe. I think Einstein said that the most amazing thing about this universe is how coherent it is. And if you can show the coherence yeah. of the heart and the heart, brain and body coherence, that's just another imagine, enormous step forward to showing what is really true. We are people who can live together who can, as Alison would say, humankind could be human kindness. And we need that <laughs> very much. And you're helping us to believe in that. What a mainstream society you can accept it heart better because of stuff like heart math science, right? The mainstream. Yes, sir. We've uh, done well in those areas. A lot of the training that's going on right now as we speak is happening in places like hospitals, you know, mm -hmm. uh, police forces, uh, mm -hmm. some very mainstream societal cornerstones that need a little heart right now, you know. So we do that kind of work, but we wouldn't be able to do that if we were just another philosophical heart system, you know, that was born out of California, right? You know, right. just it would be reaching a certain audience and reaching it well, but it wouldn't be reaching those kind of people um, who are 
not, they're not predisposed. That's not what they're supposed to do. It's not while they're here. They do something different, right? But everybody needs a little heart right now. I Allison, have a you question. Had a question? Yes, I do. Uh, It's a little bit uh, left of center, but I think it's worth asking because we are talking about coherence and harmony and not just our species amongst our own, but the fact that we're all sentient beings here living on a tiny spit of of homeland hurtling through a, a universe. Is it possible that... The heart sensor, I don't know if you're working on this, can show the relationship, the, the pain, if you will, that other beings, that trees can feel when, for example, an innocent child carves a heart into the bark of a tree. The tree is alive. The tree, that would be almost like the, the skin of a, a human body. And I'm just wondering if the heart sensor can be applied to other other species, other beings, so that humans can actually see and vivify the interaction and how we're affecting each other. What I think of is Masaru Emoto and his work with water and the water mm-hmm. crystals and how that was astonishing when people started to see that water reacts to our emotions, positive or negative. This was a stunning revelation, and I'm thinking how heart math might be veering in that direction with other sentient beings and for children to learn this as we're we're growing a new paradigm. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Oh, boy. (laughs) Really? The research that's going on today at HeartMath, let me just qualify yeah. again for anybody listening that I'm a, I'm not a, a trained scientist. I'm a, a, one of the people that has been here as a help Doc Shorty found HeartMath since its inception. And I'm, you know, I do a lot of different things here, uh, including, you know, I have a, a more of a public figure role, but there are scientists that work at HeartMath that do this type of science. I want to give them credit for it. You know, basically I've been characterized as things like a scientifically informed comedian, uh, or, a, <laughs> A hillbilly with an expanded vocabulary. I mean, the kind of things they say about me, you know. But um, the research going on here at HeartMath today is about looking at the energetic connectivity between all living systems. Hmm. People, plants, the earth itself, off-planet. Uh, it's like, you know, with a, with a hypothesis that we all live in this vast web of energetic connections between all living systems on this planet and beyond, improving that out more. So, for example, research is going on now and we're developing technology to be measure the synchronization between people, between two people or in a small group to measure what's happening in their heart rhythms in real time when they're in an interactive phase. And I've been experiments already with rudimentary versions of this technology, you know, where you have a small group trying to solve a problem and you can monitor and see the collective heart rhythm changes that are occurring in that, you know. So we're working on that type of technology. Uh, also, you mentioned trees. Now, the HeartMath Institute, first of all, there are two organizations at HeartMath. Uh, HeartMath Institute is our nonprofit where the science is actually done. And they also work in fields like education and uh, you know, first responders, things like that. And then on the other side, there's HeartMath Incorporated, which is the for-profit company that, that disseminates all of this pretty much and does all the technology development and all that. And I'm on the HeartMath Incorporated side, right? But we're one, two organizations, one mission, right? But we do, it gives us flexibility to go in through different doors, right? Mm-hmm. So the HeartMath Institute has a project now 
where they are measuring the electrical emanations from trees. And they have developed sensors that are measuring and can monitor changes in the electrical potentials produced by trees. And they are building these sensors, and they have a number of them now, like a lot of them. But where they're trying to go with this is that where everybody can have one of these to put on their tree. It becomes no. a, a citizen science project to feed information back. Because what they're already seeing and finding is that trees produce electricity, a lot of it. That electrical output changes relative to external conditions. Um, it may be because of solar radiation. It may be because of uh, geological changes. They're also seeing that uh, the trees do uh, look as if they communicate together with each other. In other words, they're proving out that this is not only happening between people, that it's happening throughout nature. So animals, plants, the, the actual geophysical planet itself are all producing energy fields. And so the, the research inquiry today at HeartMath is not just on heart-brain-body communication. It's on energetic connectivity of how this, this plays out in terms of uh, the connections between all of us with the ultimate goal, again, of proving out the need to learn to get along better. Because it's real. If you're connected to each other, you can show that, yeah. then we'll understand it. That it's in our right. interest to have the connection, in our interest to be coherent with each other and with nature, and to show exactly. that black and white matter-of-fact way, it's a tremendously great service. I feel, I feel that the idea, the Japanese idea, for example, forest basing, you know, it does good to people. People have been shown, psychotherapists and also doctors, that it actually has a positive health effect. Uh, my younger son, Alexander, runs every day half an hour barefoot in the forest. Absolutely insists on that. It feels different doing it barefoot rather than doing it in a shoe, so he wouldn't wear a shoe. But, uh, I mean, this sense of connection that we have, if we can really reinforce it by showing that it's not imagination, not only imagination, it's also real. Exactly. It's a great service. Exactly. And as we prove it, it makes us, again, you mentioned a minute, just a second ago, or it makes us more aware of it's why we need to do it, right? Because we are connected. We are impacting each other. We are influencing one another. And it brings us into an awareness that leads to the next level of self-responsibility to recognize, you know, the question that we often, that I often ask is, what am I feeding the field? Yeah. <laughs> what, what are my inner attitudes right now? Uh, how is that impacting everything else? Uh, if I'm choosing to not be happy about something or to be upset about something, I'm feeding the field with that, right? And and that's not only affecting me, but in some unseen ways, it's affecting everything else, right? So it puts me in a position of being more responsible uh, of what I'm feeding the field. Yeah. And the science is going to help with that. Irvin's exactly right. As we begin to show more of this, and uh, it, it will give people a grounded understanding of the practicalness of it. See, right now, we can attract a lot of people with something like the tree research because people getting glamored by that. Oh, wow, look, they're measuring trees, you know, and I love trees. And so they'll get, you know, it attracts a lot of people. The bigger question, though, is, is once they're attracted, where do they go from there? Is it just information? Is it just something that stimulates them so that they know now that trees produce electricity? Or does it take them to a deeper understanding of the need to manifest more heart in their life and take them to another level of a feeling of uh, 
being a conscious co-creator with a responsibility to make the world a better place. That's where it ultimately has to go. The attractions, one level where it takes people is the most important part. I think. Well, that's exactly. what we've been well, saying about the old paradigm of separateness oh. and individual, overdone individuality. And then the new paradigm right. of connection and belonging. And this we have to show. This we have now the proof for that. We really belong together. Oneness is not just a word. It's something that can be shown because we are part of that field. We've been saying that. I've been saying that for quite some time. But now uh, the idea of this universal field of which, into which we can switch into is becoming more wide, widely accepted. And your Heitmann's work is, the, is doing a tremendous job in, in helping that recognition come along, that we are indeed part of a universal field. And when we are together, we can advance the field. When we are breaking off, then we become, we become a kind of a cancer, which just ruins the and uh, damages the field. So the way forward is this way. And you can show it. Anybody dots it, look at the data, it's there. So it's a wonderful service, as I said. Great. The ideas are there, the ideas you're representing. And you're also going beyond your showing. The ideas are based on something very solid, scientific. And that is a unique job of the Heart Mass Institute, a unique service. So, Urban, what's next for you? I know that you, know, you have that your book coming out. And I'm, I'm going to just say up front to anybody watching now, I've, I've gotten an advanced PDF of the book. It's a wonderful book, and I suggest that you read it. Uh, Urban's saying some very important things in that book. Uh, right, I think I, we all need to hear. I'd like you to say that so we can put it right into the book. <laughs> I would love to hear a verse from you on that. But what? Yeah, no problem. You know, we are, we are banking on an interesting date. Maybe it's just numerology, I don't know. But there is 2202, 20, uh, 2202, you know, the, uh, the, uh, 22nd of February, uh, 2022. All these two right. zeros, you know. And we are going to do a, a, an upshift festival. And I would like to heartily invite you to that and, and your colleagues to the Hardship Festival. It will be a full-day event. I'd be honored. I'd like you to say these things there because they are, I think they're absolutely essential. Good. I want to show you something real quick. This is something I don't do often, but you know, I have, in front of me at my desk, I have little things that I've picked up along the way. And sometimes this one is the most meaningful to me that I'll show now, and it's a simple one, but I'll tell you why it's meaningful. Yeah. I spoke in, uh, I think I saw from my Facebook memories, I think it was three or four years ago, I, I spoke in Italy. I was in San Marino and a nice big audience and all that. And I put my heart out to those people. And afterwards, there was the thing where you the people taking their pictures with you, things like that. And a family walked up to me and they spoke no English at all. And they just stood there looking at me and no English at all. And, and all of a sudden, this little boy <laughs> stepped up and handed me that. Oh. Means he got it. Whatever the translation or whatever it was or whatever he was there with his parents, that little boy walked up and he handed me this. And it realized in that moment, that's why this is important. This is why I do what I do. You know, if that child beyond language had been touched in some way, then that makes this work meaningful. 
So all the grandiose stuff we can do, it finally comes down to that to me. Uh, how do we help people? You know, and how do well, we... For those you know, people, just to say, because you just held up a beautiful, simple red heart, and because this is a podcast, in case we're not videotaping this portion of the show, I want people to know that Howard Martin just held up a beautiful red heart. Little, little red paper, made out, made out of paper that this little boy made, made, made while he was, while I was talking, you know. Made out uh, of love. Paper yeah, and lots of loaf. A little simple paper heart that can mean nothing in, in some context or very little in some context. But to me, it had meaning because of where it came from and the conditions in which I received it. So in other words, the energy in this little heart is beyond logical linear intelligence, right? It's, it's, it comes from something larger in, in experience that happened. Right. It's something that's before thought. It's something I, that I want to add something. experience comes in. But we thought of this, we knew this, but we've forgotten it. And now we can remember. Because you are underscoring it. You are showing that it's real. I mean, that's, that's, that's tremendous. That's right. Well, I wanted uh, to say one thing, Howard, by the way, because you made a point before about the trees and sort of the uh, flash, the pizzazz right now that uh, the tree uh, evokes and people. But to take it to a next step is that people might understand through this pizzazz phase that you're demonstrating with yeah. trees being alive that that next phase is for people to understand compassion and empathy uh, and the ability to feel vis-a-vis other other beings than themselves. Oh, will- my apologies. Let me get this phone off. That's all right. <laughs> I mean, uh, there we go. Urban had one too, so it's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, Urban had a call, I had a call. <laughs> Maybe energy is calling to say it's sending us love. The field is calling <laughs> to, to share love. I just wanted to say that I think that empathy and compassion can be gleaned from the, the phase that you're doing now, demonstrating how trees are, are able to sense and feel. Maybe yeah, that's, that's a, a stepping stone for humans to be able to feel. I think we have fed the field a marvelous, loving experience today, and it has fed us. I would like to ask if there's any concluding statements that either of you want to share or ask each other. Or I'm I'm well, bowled I... over. I'm bowled over. Absolutely. I mean, this is a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful uh, conversation that can take help us to take the next step. And now to conclude our program, here are some thoughts from our co-host Fred Sal. So now when it comes to the heart intelligence, what, what is it that is included in the Eastern wisdom that we can learn from, that we are able to hear about? Well, you know, in the Chinese culture, the heart uh, is actually the heart-mind. It's not separable. Unless you have to understand that we have different layer of body, the physical body, then comes the heart, mind, body. Then comes our uh, energy body. Then it moves to our ultimate soul or the ultimate individuated consciousness, collective consciousness, integrated, uh, creative body. So uh, the heart, mind is the body right next to the physical body. And they actually... Uh, um, create an integration of uh, sensation, 
uh, emotions and thoughts. They come together. And this is fundamentally an energy flowing through because emotions and thoughts, these are different energy. As I said, the cosmos is a thought. And so these uh, flowing of energy uh, and mental body and the physical body uh, comes from the uh, consciousness, soul, uh, and collective body. And so, uh, and this is how the Eastern look at it. And intelligence is a human work that maybe it is kind of a wisdom, it's kind of a wisdom of life. Huh? So that actually comes from a much deeper level of consciousness. So, champion. And the Chinese call it the, which is virtual. So a dog has a dog virtual, a cat has a cat virtual. The intelligence of the dog allow it to survive and prosper as a dog. And a human being has a human virtue. And this virtue is also intelligence. With that intelligence, human can be a human. Right? A dog, they have intelligence too. That makes it able to survive as a dog and being a dog, right? And human being extremely creative. And so we need, we have more intelligence. Thank you, Chairman. And creativity. Thank you so much. So, Chairman, now you, you have a center uh, in, in, in Sankhar as well. So, so there are some experiences that you help people to develop this part of themselves. So maybe you could share with us some of the technology that you use, some of the practices that you give to people, and what are some of the effects that people that go through that, 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 that part of the experience, what are some of the positive effects they've experienced? Well, you know... Um, the journey inward. As we journey through a body awareness into um, the mental, emotional body awareness, into energetic awareness, and to our soul or our origin or the unconscious, whatever uh, we call it, the deep consciousness awareness, we travel in. As we travel in, a few things happen. Our intelligence are shining through. Now, intelligence is not just uh, logic intelligence. Oh, he's very intelligent. You know, he can think through in critical thinking. Well, that's one level of intelligence. And then there's another level of knowing, intuitive knowing. It's also very, very, very powerful, if not the most powerful uh, intelligence. We can almost go in the place and look at it and then we feel this is not safe. There's an intelligence towards safety. There's an intelligence towards other people's intention towards us. There's an intelligence that we come in many aspects. So you think about intelligence before it's go, oh, we have IQ, then we have EQ, then we have SQ, then even business sense becomes business intelligence. Then you have engineering intelligence. Well, each of the faculty it becomes an intelligence. So what is actually intelligence? It is a sense. It is a knowledge. It is, at the end of the day, help us choose. 
choose and use, I would say. And so we inherently have it. And as we move in to develop a connection to ourselves, many intelligence will happen. Certainly spiritual intelligence will show through, emotional intelligence will show through, um, and it will enhance intelligence and sensitivity um, in many faculty. And if that is uh, combined with knowledge, then it becomes very useful, useful in that area. Thank you for joining us. Dawn of an Era of Well-Being is a co-production of the Laszlo Institute, ITEA Institute, and Select Books. It's produced by Nora Cesar and Kenichi Sugihara with theme music Chimera by Biba DuPont. The book, Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, co-authored by Irvin Laszlo and Frederick Sau, is available wherever books or e-books are sold. Please subscribe to Dawn of an Era of Well-Being, the podcast, on Apple or Spotify for more fascinating guests and discussion. My name is Allison Goldwyn, founder and creative director of Synchronistory.com, a future party for the planet broadcast live worldwide, wishing you well-being till we talk again next week.